Oh, anyway, so let's prepare to worship our God. And to do so, let's turn in our Bibles, if you want to follow along, I'm going to read for our devotion this morning, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And there'll be some reference to it during the sermon. Hear now the word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Let's take a moment and prepare to worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, both their persons and their works. Let's take a moment silent meditation and preparation. Amen. Please rise now as we hear the call of our Heavenly Father to come into his presence in the name of Jesus Christ to worship the triune God. Our call this morning comes from Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him all his angels. Praise him all his hosts. Praise him sun and moon. Praise him, all you stars of light. Praise him, you heaven of heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord.
For he commanded and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and the heavens. Praise the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us do so. What have we been called to do? Praise the Lord. And so let's do so, beginning with uh, 570 in the hymnal the, uh, that's there in front of you. Uh, 570, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And then we'll sing that psalm, Psalm 148, the B section. 570. <laughs> Thank you. 
thank you for thank you for opening our eyes and by the work of your spirit opening our hearts that we would desire to forsake our beds forsake the world forsake the flesh forsake the devil forsake sin and pursue you to praise you, to do what is logical and right in the sight of Almighty God, creator, provider, redeemer, and judge. We thank you that you have called us now from heaven to join you in the Spirit, in Christ, in heaven. And so we thank you for this great privilege we have. Enable us to keep focused on where we are and to honor you with our hearts, with our minds, with our lips, with our bodies, with all that we have, for we have been created by you and for you. And so we do pray that you would enable us. Speak, Lord, from heaven. May your servants listen, trust, and obey. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Once again this morning we have opportunity to confess our sins and we will do that with a responsive reading found in your bulletin. That reading comes from 1 John chapter 3 verses 4 through 9. I will read the light type if you could respond in the dark type. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. For he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his sin remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God.
Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you're the one who defines what sin is. And there in the text it says, sin is violating the law, breaking the law. What law? The law that you have written on our hearts and you've revealed in your word. You have declared what is true, what is good, and what is right. And you call us to walk in the truth, in that truth. And yet we do have to confess, we must confess, how we have fallen short of that perfect law standard, that law of liberty we have fallen back into that bondage of sin. We do know that our Lord Jesus Christ never committed any sin, that he was righteous before you. He completely obeyed you, Heavenly Father, in all that you sent him to do, that he is perfectly righteous, and that in him we are declared righteous in Christ. If we trust in Christ alone for salvation, then he declares us righteous. But yet, even though we are declared righteous in Christ, yet we still sin. We have sinned. And we do know your word in 1 John chapter 1 that commands us to confess our sins and gives us the promise, if we do so, that you will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we do not want to hide, minimize, or blame shift our, our actions, our thoughts. We've sinned against you, and we are responsible for those actions, thoughts, words, and deeds. We've offended you. Because all sin ultimately is in a personal offense to a holy God. And so we do want to come and confess these things. We've sinned against you. We've not loved you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We've not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We've been self-centered, self-serving. And we do hate that. We desire, oh Lord, for you to do that work of conversion, that work of causing us to repent, to turn from our sins and to hate them, turn from them always more and more. Grant unto us also, we pray, that heartfelt joy in you through Christ, causing us to take delight in living according to the law of God in all good works. And so we do pray, O Lord, that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that you would enliven our hearts, open our eyes to see that we are forgiven only through Jesus Christ. And enable us, O Lord, by faith to lift our voices in thanksgiving. For by grace we are heirs of heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And let us do so. Turn to him. Uh, um, let's lift up our voices and rejoice in the grace of God in Christ, uh, 477, by grace I am an heir of heaven, 477.
Let's stand and sing. And sing from the heart. out of this small, the complete gospel that's in front of you. Um, today we also have an opportunity to make a public profession of our faith. If you'll turn with me to question and answer number 23, we have which is commonly called the Apostles' Creed. And for those new here, when we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the word Catholic means universal. So we believe in the universal body of Christ. Okay? If you have a question about that, please see me afterwards. Okay? So let us together confess our faith. What is it 
beloved, that you believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So we confess the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are referenced in our text this morning in our sermon as one, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. All right, so also in that little, pan, little book, if you will turn with me, we're working our way through the Heidelberg Catechism. And again, the word catechism just means a oral or a verbal teaching. So this is a verbal teaching tool. And so we are on Lord's Day number four, questions numbers nine, ten, and eleven. We're, we're in the first part, which is to... Uh, focus on how great my sin and misery is. And then the next part is how we are redeemed from our sins and misery. Uh, we'll pick that up in question 12 next week. So, Lord's Day number four, question number nine. I'll read the question if you could respond in the answer. Question number nine. Does not God then do injustice to man by requiring of him in his law that which he cannot perform. No, for God so made man that he could perform it, but man, through the instigation of the devil, by willful disobedience, deprived himself and all his descendants of those divine gifts. Will God allow such disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished? Certainly not, but he is terribly displeased with our inborn as well as our actual sins and will punish them in just judgment in time and eternity, as he has declared, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But is not God also merciful? God is indeed merciful, but he is likewise just. His justice, therefore, requires that sin, which is committed against the most high majesty of God, be punished with extreme, that is, with everlasting punishment, both of body and soul." So you notice all three questions have to do with justice. Do you notice that? Typically, when we talk about God's redemption, 
God's choosing to save some and not others, that Jesus died for particular people, the Holy Spirit applies that sovereignly as he wills. People get offended by that, even though it's in the Bible. And usually the argument is, well, where is mercy? Where is the love of God? Where is, yeah, mercy? But what is, if you try to define mercy, what's the context of mercy? Justice. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Okay? If you take away justice, you don't have mercy. It's, you, it's undefinable. Mercy is understood in the concept of justice. And also, salvation begins with the glory of God and not me. Does that make sense? Your salvation isn't about you primarily. It's about God who saves. Jehovah saves. Joshua. Jehovah Shua in the New Testament. Jesus. His, he shall be called Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So the salvation that we celebrate and rejoice in ultimately is for the glory of God. And the judgment for sin is for the glory of God. God's justice, God's mercy are both glorified. Do we understand? That's the starting point is God. And then God, who is rich in his mercy with which his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive. The work of the Holy Spirit, applying the work of Christ to our lives. Who gets the glory? Will there be anybody in heaven saying, I'm here because of my faith? Or are they going to say, I'm here because of the grace of God? And grace... Cause my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious was the grace of God the hour I first believed, because the grace of God enabled me to believe. Right? Paul writes that. We've been looking at that in Ephesians 2. So will God allow such disobedience with Adam and Eve and with us an apostasy to go unpunished? No. He is terribly displeased. Boy, that is a weak statement. Terribly displeased, that sounds pretty strong. No, he's highly offended. Personal. As, I, as Van Til says, sin is like climbing up in the lap of our Heavenly Father in order to slap him in the face. That's a personal offense, as well as a violation of the law. And then it, they go on to say, well, what about the mercy of God? Again, justice must be satisfied. So how can you be accepted by God if you are a sinner and, you're, and because of your sins you face eternal judgment? And the answer is Jesus Christ. The next question. Since then, by the righteous judgment of God, we deserve a temporal, in time, and eternal punishment. How may we escape this punishment and be again received in the favor? God wills that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, we must make full satisfaction to that justice, either by ourselves. Can you do that? 
full satisfaction for all your sins? Can you do that? Or by another? Who's that other? Jesus. That's right. Thank you, John. Jesus. Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So, in preparation for our uh, sermon this morning, if you'll turn with me to hymn number 194, Gracious Savior. Is this this a tune we don't know, or do we know this tune? Okay, you want to play through it once? Uh, Let us stand and sing while Chloe plays through it once. Turn in your Bibles, our Old Testament scripture reading is found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. And then in the New Testament, we'll be turning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. 
So, beginning in the Old Testament with Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, after we, we see the recitation of the Ten Commandments a second time, and now the application of those commandments, Deuteronomy 6.1. Hear now the word of God. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. In the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark chapter 28 We'll be, pick up our reading in verse 16. I'm sorry, Matthew, sorry. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some hesitated. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you and we thank you for uh, these words, both the exhortation for the people of God in the Old Testament to love you with all, to claim you as their own, 
and also to diligently teach their children and to raise them up, to disciple them in the Lord. And also here, the discipleship mandate that we have been called to follow and to promote, proclaim. We thank you, O Lord, for the faithfulness of your covenant servants that we Gentiles have heard the gospel. They have gone out to all the world and they have made disciples of Jew and Gentile alike down through the centuries and now with us. We walk in their footsteps. We pray that you would enable us to hear this call to disciple the nations, starting with ourselves and our families. And so we ask for your blessing. Speak, Lord, from heaven through your word, we pray. And give us a teachable spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, What do you think of this statement? Sin amazes me. Agree or disagree? Sin blows me away. Overwhelms me. There are so many different kinds of sin, both inwardly and outwardly. It's amazing. And like I've said before, sin is insanity. If we truly understand who God is, and our sin is against him. Every sin is an act of insanity. But one of the things that uh, amazes me is that God has given us something to unite the church. And yet we find ways to divide the church. Take, for instance, the sacraments. What is the purpose of the sacraments? that Christ has instituted. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 27, says it this way, Sacraments are holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace immediately instituted by God to represent Christ and his benefits. Shouldn't that unite us? Christ and his benefits. And to confirm our interest in him, also to put a visible difference between those that belong unto the church and the rest of the world. And to solemnly to engage them in the service of God in Christ according to his word. But in particular, to put a visible difference between those who belong to the church and the rest of the world. So one of the purposes of Baptism, one of the purposes of the Lord's Supper is to set that division. But the problem is we divide over other things instead of dividing, yes, in Christ, in Adam. Okay? We divide over the mode, how it's done. We divide over whom, the minister. We divide over the meaning, and we divide over the merit. That which is intended to unite us ends up dividing us as a church. Even among brethren who claim to be Reformed or Presbyterian, there's still division about baptism, isn't there? 
And so I want us to take a moment to focus on our text this morning. Baptism is mentioned there, isn't it? It's one of the supporting verbs of make disciples. That's the main verb, make disciples. Going, baptizing, teaching. Those are supporting verbs. But it does address that. And so we need to properly understand Matthew 28 as we address this, especially as we're about to baptize 11 people this morning. Here's a summary. What is baptism? Baptism is a sign and seal of God's love. You hear that? Baptism is not what we do. Baptism is focusing on God and what he does. It's a sign and seal of God's love and his promised blessing. The focus is on the word of God, the name of God. Notice, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And so baptism is primarily about God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's what we have to keep in mind here. Now, I've placed in the bulletin, in the outline, Heidelberg Catechism, question 2074. Uh, this is how we understand what about children of believers? And the question is asked, are infants also to be baptized? And the answer is yes, for since they, children of believers, as well as their parents, belong to the covenant and people of God. And through the blood of Christ, both redemption from sin and the Holy Spirit, who works faith, are promised to them no less than to their parents. They are also by baptism as a sign of the covenant to be engrafted into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers, as was done in the Old Testament by baptism in the place of which in the New Testament baptism is appointed or instituted by God. So the focus of baptism is Jesus the Christ. The focus of baptism is the promised and victorious King of Kings. Just like the Lord's Supper, the focus is Jesus Christ and his accomplishment on the cross, death and resurrection. So the first question to ask is, who are the initiators? In other words, who's the ones that are doing the baptism? And the answer is, not the recipient. And the answer is, not even the administrators. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's go to the text. Verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to them. All authority has been already given to me in heaven and earth. Going, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. So baptism is what's done to the individual being baptized. The Bible does not teach that you are allowed to baptize yourself. All Christians practice that. It, it would be a, weird, I baptize myself in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's not what the text says, does it? 
An authorized representative of Jesus Christ baptizes them. So it's not, the initiator is not the disciple that's receiving baptism. The initiator is not even the administrator. There was a big controversy within the church back in around the time of uh, Augustine where, well, this minister denied the faith, and so everybody that baptized, their baptism is not valid if he baptized them. And the church said, no, it's not based on the holiness of the minister. It's based on Jesus Christ. Is he holy? Is he righteous? And the answer is yes. So who are the initiators? It's not the recipients. It's not the administrators. And this is a strange thought. Baptism is not about the person who gets baptized. That's not the primary focus. Do you understand that? And the... Uh, Formula in the statement, what, who's the focus? Name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So baptism is about God. Lord's Supper is about God. The sacrament's about God. God institutes, that's the focus. So who's the initiator? The triune God. As the Westminster says, instituted by God. One author, Bromley, says it this way. Baptism declares signifies and seals not what I do, but what God has done, is doing, and will do for me. How does he base that? What does he base that on? The name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What is a name in the Bible? Name is what we've talked about this many times. The name is a revelation of a person and their work. Think of the word reputation, a person and their work. And so the focus of baptism is the name of God. What in particular about the name of God? Well, it says the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What, do, what does the Bible teach concerning the Father? Why do we call him Father? Because he's the initiator, right? He created us. He sustains us. Salvation is the, being given the ability to say to God, Father, Abba, Father. Can we naturally in Adam do that? Can we say, our Father who art in heaven? Can we claim God is our Father if we're in Adam and not in Christ? The answer is no, we're lying to ourselves and to others. What has to happen before a child can say to an adult, father or mother, think of Mela, right? Mela has a new mommy and daddy, a new father and mother. Why? Because they adopted her. And now she can say daddy. She can say mommy. What about us? Can you say Abba, father? Can you say our father, my father, my heavenly father? Only if he adopts you, if he's chosen from eternity, you. You understand that? Baptism is the act of the Father signing the adoption papers. You understand that? It makes a formal declaration that you belong to the Father. You're a child of God. You're a son. You're a daughter. 
And so baptism declares the election of the Father, the divine initiative of grace. And we read earlier from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, and just real quickly, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all, every, spirit, every blessing, in, uh, spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world and, present, and predestined us to adoption from eternity. Chose us in Christ, predestined us to adoption. Wow. Who's doing the work? The Father. Does that bring comfort to you? Knowing that it's a Father that chooses and what he chooses gets accomplished. Yes. So it points to the choosing of the Father, election of the Father. Second, it points to the reconciliation of the Son. In one sense, baptism is ultimately tied to the baptism of Jesus. When was Jesus baptized? There in the Jordan. When John the baptizer said, I need to be baptized by you, what are you doing coming to me? And Jesus' response is, thus it must be done in order to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, I must obey my Father's command, my Father's will. I must be baptized. It's my anointing. At that moment, he was anointed with the Spirit. And he says so, reading Isaiah in the synagogue, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. When did that happen? At his baptism. And so the baptism points to Christ. Jesus is the Christ, the anointed, and his accomplished work of reconciliation. A reconciliation he had to go through a baptism of fire. We call it the cross. His baptism saves us, as Peter says. It's his baptism that saves us, the cross and the resurrection. So baptism points and celebrates what Christ has accomplished. And thirdly, in the name of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit who takes and takes a dead person and brings them to life. How does he do it? He applies the gospel. He applies the work of Christ. Think of Cornelius, the Gentile who has this vision and calls for Peter, that's Acts chapter 10. What happened? Peter arrives, he starts preaching the gospel, and he gets interrupted by the Holy Spirit. I find that to be somewhat comical. To him, that is Christ, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. 
as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Isn't that interesting? Peter was interrupted in preaching the gospel by the Holy Spirit. Yet he applied the gospel. Here we see God's sovereign activity of the Spirit. And again, I've been skipped, I skipped my coverage there in Ephesians. If you want to go back and look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. There it talks about inheritance and sealing and all of that. So salvation and regeneration the work is a work of the Spirit. When Jesus talked to Nicodemus, he said, what about the, what, 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 what being born again? How does it happen? He says, it's like the wind. The wind comes, the wind goes, it blows you. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going. You don't cause the wind so is the Spirit. He does what he wants. Sovereignly does what he wants. The regenerating work of the Holy Spirit is not based on my consciousness or confession of faith. It's, he's sovereign. He does what he wants when he wants to do it. So baptism points to the election of the Father, the reconciliation of the Son, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. It glorifies the triune God. Again, Bromley in his book, which I highly recommend, by the way, page 33 summarizes it this way. Baptism was instituted to witness to the name and act of God into which we are caught up in faith. It is our baptism and confession of Christ only because it is Christ's baptizing and confession of us. Baptism finds its basic and central meaning as a sign and proclamation of the work of God, whereby the righteousness of faith is sealed to us. It is only secondary and derivative meaning as a confession of our own faith and conversion. So the primary focus... Who is the initiator of baptism? Short answer, God. Okay? This is his sacrament. He's established it. Second question, well then, who are the initiated? Who are those that are received through baptism? Again, notice it is not the initiated are not the initiators they are baptized by another not oneself again that's that point so who believers believers in what the name of god the focus is on the name of god and believers are to be baptized are to be made disciples so do we believe in believer's baptism? The answer is yes. And their seed. Oh, I, bro I messed it up. We believe 
And we're going to have one adult baptism today, a believer's baptism, credo-baptism. And his children. Again, why? Because the children of believers belong to Jesus. If you belong to Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, if you're in Christ, so is your car. So is your house, so is your bank account, and so is your family. They all belong to Jesus. Covenantal understanding. Notice the catechism again. Our infants will be baptized, yes, for they, as well as their parents, belong to the covenant and people of God. And the promise of the gospel is to them no less than to their parents. They are to be distinguished from the children of unbelievers. And so the idea is they belong to God. God claims the children of believers, and they are to be distinguished uh, from the world. Cornelius Trimp says it this way, and I thought he had a good statement. Can the children of believers also be described as called to be saints? His answer is yes, for these children live under the claim of God. Carried along by their parents, they too travel down God's sacred path. Even their birth stood under the power of God's determination. God gave these children to their parents by means of the institution of marriage to which God had once again laid claim. These children belong to their parents, but these parents belong to Christ. Therefore, we may legitimately identify these children as belonging to Christ. Together with their parents, they are placed on the road traveled by those called to be saints. In other words, disciples. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 14, Lest your children were unclean, but now they are holy. Paul writes. So they belong to the covenant and people of God, as well as their parents. So what are they initiated into? So we talked about who's, who initiates who are the initiated? And my third point is, what are the initiated to? In a word, it is discipleship. Parents, we read Deuteronomy chapter 6. Is there a command of God to Christian parents to disciple their children? The answer is yes. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you shall teach it diligently your children. When? During Sunday school? When you sit down? When you get up? When you're driving? When you're sleeping? Or getting ready for sleep? What is he saying? All the time. Your children are raised in that covenant family relationship. Discipleship. Does discipleship include the gospel? And the answer is yes. Here's a good question. Are you, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, do you preach the gospel to yourself? Do you? How often? Well, I believe, in, I believe the gospel when I heard it, so I don't have to think about it. No. How often 
do you preach the gospel? Or as, uh, as the Africans in uh, Uganda say to one another, brothers meet one another and say, have you seen the cross today, brother, sister? Do you do that? Do you preach the gospel to yourself? If I'm following Jesus, I need to be reminded of his death and resurrection. I've seen the cross, yes. It's an empty cross. It's an empty tomb. Do you do that? Do you preach the gospel? Do you confess your sins? Do you confess your Savior? How often, it should be, how often should it be? Every day, all the time, right? Do you preach the gospel to your children? Should you? Every day, all the time, right? So it's discipleship. We are called to disciple God's children, and that is a responsibility. Here's the, uh, something I didn't mention last Sunday. What we are looking at Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, children obey your parents. And one of the, somebody said afterwards, boy, you sure hammered the kids. What about the parents? Well, maybe I'll do that next week. Um, but did you notice the phrase, children, obey your parents, in the Lord. So, the par- children of parents who are believers are in the Lord, Paul says. Right? That's very important. I don't know if you get that. Children of believers belong to Jesus because the believe parents, believers, belong to Jesus. So, it's discipleship. In the Old Testament types, we have... Uh, we have that death and resurrection with Peter speaking about the flood, with Paul speaking about the Red Sea. They said, he said they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Who was baptized? The covenant people of God. Adults and children. Two million people passed through the Red Sea. Paul says that's a baptism. So what does baptism point to? The remission of sins, the canceling of the old life of sin, and points to regeneration, the work of, sovereign work of the Spirit who moves when he wills, focusing on the new life and eternal life in the Spirit. And so what are we called to do as believers in Christ? Are you called to die to self? Put off the old man. Put on the new man. The catechism says it this way. What is the dying of the old man? Heartfelt. What? Sorrow for sin. Causing us to hate it. And turn from it always more and more. Okay? And what is the the making alive of the new man? Heartfelt joy in God through Christ, causing us to take delight in living for Jesus according to his will. Uh, If you want to, I'm not going to read it. My time, I'm gone too, too long, too fast, or too long. Uh, If you want to, uh, 
there is in uh, Westminster Confession, uh, a larger catechism, question 167. Guys, this is question 167. There's more questions in the larger catechism than Heidelberg Catechism, and they're longer. So just for the catechumens. And in question 167, how is our uh, baptism to be improved by us? So the question is, what do we do with baptism? Is it just the one time only kind of thing? And okay, I've been baptized. No, he goes on to point by point to use baptism to remind us about Christ, to remind us about our relationship with Christ, to remind us of our sin and our need for forgiveness, and on and on. So I'm not going to read that. I'm going to leave that... uh, it's up front here if someone wants to take a picture of that or whatever, um, if you want to do your own studies. I do want to close, though, with a quote from, again, from Romley. What are they initiated into? Baptism was instituted to witness to the name and act of God. Did you catch that? That was at the beginning. Baptism witnesses to God. It's the glory, it points to God. His name and his acts, into which we are caught up in faith. It is our baptism and confession of Christ, only because it is Christ's baptizing and confession of us. Baptism finds its basic and central meaning as a sign and proclamation of the work of God, whereby the righteousness of faith is sealed to us. I actually read that earlier. I'm sorry, I read that earlier, but it's good to remind us. He goes on to write, Baptism is a sign whose significance can never be extinguished in this life. It speaks to us of new birth as our initial entry into Christ and his work on our behalf. It speaks to us of lifelong renewal of our ongoing identification with Christ in his substitutionary dying and rising again. It also speaks to us of the resurrection as our definitive participation in Christ and the death and resurrection that he underwent vicariously for us. In other words, baptism is something that's done in the past, has ongoing effect in the future, and it points to our resurrection. To the future. Its significance is never exhausted in this life. And so again, this ceremony, this sacrament, points to God's unilateral covenant of grace. He imposes grace. It's his work. Amen? Amen. Thank you for your patience. Uh, Let's uh, take, let's pray. Let's ask for the Lord's blessing. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your love from eternity. Your love as declared by Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We do thank you, Lord, for your love, your electing love, your redeeming love, Lord Jesus, your sanctifying and uh, application 
sanctifying love of the Spirit. And we celebrate this institution of baptism as you call us to follow Jesus, the discipleship mandate. And so we pray that you would bless now us in this reception of members into the church as well as the reception of believers and their children into the family of God. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us respond to God's word by giving of his tithes and our offerings. Father in heaven, we do come before you and we lay these tithes and offerings at your feet. We acknowledge that all things come from you. You own everything. The earth belongs to you and everything in it. And we have bowed the knee to you, acknowledging that you are Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for giving to us our daily bread, for providing for us the things that we need, for giving us uh, resources and entrusting them into our care. We are but managers of time and all the resources you've given us. We give back to you a portion and we ask for your blessing upon them. Give wisdom to the uh, officers of the church as they uh, distribute these for the work of the kingdom, uh, for the glory of God. We ask uh, for your blessing of wisdom, and also help us, Lord, to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time, uh, I would like to ask the Shimitz family to come forward. I want to move those sunglasses. <laughs> right, and uh, Bill and Ray Lynn, do you want to come forward? Um, we're going to begin. We're receiving them as members in the church, and uh, Bill is also going to be baptized, as well as the kids. And so these are, uh, we've talked about these already. We've gone through membership classes, and um, let me read a little bit, and then I'll, I'll give the vows. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank God, amen to that, for his grace which, he, which has been given to you in Christ Jesus, by which he awakened in you a desire to profess your faith publicly here in the presence of God and his holy church, and to obtain the privileges of full communion with the people of God. You are now requested to answer sincerely the following questions. So here's where we get to the vows. 
So question number one, do you believe the Bible consisting of the Old and New Testaments to be the inerrant and infallible Word of God and its teaching summarized in the confession of, confessions of this church to be the perfect and only true doctrine of salvation? Secondly, do you confess that because of your sinfulness, you abhor and humble yourself before God, and that you trust for salvation not in yourself, but in Jesus Christ alone? Thirdly, do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your sovereign Lord, and do you promise, in reliance on the grace of God, to serve him with your whole heart, to forsake the world, to mortify your old nature, and to lead a godly life. Fourthly, do you agree to submit in the Lord to the government of this church, and in case you should be found delinquent in doctrine or life, to obey its discipline? I charge you then, beloved, that by the diligent use of the means of grace and with the assistance of your God, you continue in the profession which you have just made. In the name of Christ Jesus our Lord, I now welcome you to full communion with the people of God. Rest assured that these privileges of such communion are now yours. Um, so could you sit down? We still have to do the baptismal part. So some of that already is a little bit early, but that's okay. So just a reminder of what we're doing here. Baptism is a sacrament ordained by the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a sign and seal of the inclusion of the person who is baptized into the covenant of grace, teaching us that we and our children are conceived and born in sin. It witnesses and seals to us the remission of sins and the bestowal of all the gifts of salvation through union with Christ. Baptism with water signifies and seals cleansing from sin by the blood and spirit of Christ together with our death to sin, our resurrection in newness of life by virtue of the death and resurrection of Christ. Since these gifts of salvation are the gracious provision of the triune God, who is pleased to claim us as his very own, we are baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And since baptized persons are called upon to assume the obligations of the covenant, Baptism summons us to renounce the devil, the world, and the flesh, to walk humbly with our God in devotion to his commandments. Our Lord Jesus Christ commanded his church to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The baptism adults must await their own profession of faith in Christ. Having come to years of discretion, they become heirs of salvation and members of the visible church only by way of personal belief in and submission to Christ as Lord and Savior. And so you already took the same vows that we have for baptism at this point in time. So let's pray. Almighty and eternal God, you punish the unbelieving and unrepentant world by the flood according to your severe judgment, but save believing Noah and his family in your great mercy, and you drown Pharaoh and all his hosts in the Red Sea, but led your people Israel through the midst of the sea upon dry ground, by which baptism was foreshadowed. We beseech you through your boundless mercy, graciously to look upon your servant, united by your Holy Spirit with your own Son, Jesus Christ, 
buried with him in his death, and risen with him in his resurrection to newness of life. Grant that he daily follow you, may joyfully bear his cross, and cling to him in firm faith, firm hope, and fervent love. Grant further that he may cheerfully depart this life and in the last day appear without fear before the judgment seat of Christ your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit, one only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen. William Keith Shimmons, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And so, Ray Lynn, will you come up here again? Okay, these are baptismal vows for the parents and also for the congregation. So listen to the last one because members of the congregation, you're taking vows this morning as well. To the parents, there's five. Some of them you've already affirmed, but we'll just go over them again. Do you affirm in the presence of God and these witnesses that you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior that you are saved solely by faith in him and not by any works or character of your own, but simply through faith in God's free gift of grace in Christ. Okay. Do you acknowledge that your faith in Christ places you in a covenant relationship with the Lord and into the covenant community called the church and that this covenant relationship is, was signified and sealed to you by your own baptism? Did you follow all that? <laughs> okay. Do you acknowledge that although our children are conceived and born in sin and therefore subject to condemnation, they are holy in Christ and as members of his church ought to be baptized? Okay. Do you acknowledge that the outward washing with water is not itself the washing away of sins and that your children must confess faith in Christ in order to be saved? Okay. Do you promise to instruct your children in the principles of our holy religion as revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament and as summarized in the creeds and confessions of this church? And do you promise to pray with and for your children to set a godly example of piety and godliness before them and to endeavor by all the means of God's appointment to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Congregation, do you, the members of this congregation, receive these children of the covenant? And will you endeavor to aid in every way possible the ministry to this family to the end that these baptized vows or baptismal vows may be fulfilled? We do? Okay, thank you. Wait. John, you're the oldest. All right, do you want to stand where your dad stood? Okay. And it is John William, right? Right? Okay. John William Shimmitz, I baptize you in the name of the Father, 
and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Welcome. <laughs> I did get your glasses. That's it. You can sit down. James. Okay, I'll try not to use as much water, but you don't have glasses on, so. All right. James William Shimmons. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Welcome. <laughs> okay, Reed. There you go. Read, William Shimmons. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Welcome. Your turn, Melania. Is that right, Melania? Okay, and it's Melania. Diane. Is it Diana? Okay. Melania Diana Schimitz. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Welcome. <laughs> okay. Let, uh, let's, uh, the whole family, will you please come up? Uh, we'll pray for you. Almighty, most merciful God and Father, we thank and praise you that you have forgiven all our sins through the blood of your, your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and have adopted us to be your children through the work of the Holy Spirit. We beseech you for the sake of Christ, always to govern this family by your word and spirit, so that they may lead a Christian and godly life and may grow and increase in grace. May they learn to acknowledge the fatherly goodness and mercy that you have shown to them and to us all. Grant that they may live in all righteousness and submission to the only teacher, high priest, and king, Jesus Christ, and may courageously fight against and overcome sin and the devil to the end that they may enter eternally praise and magnify you, your son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, the one true and only God. Now the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Welcome to the family. Right. Thank you. And uh, the Sims family, are you ready? Okay. For the visitors, we don't do this very often, but I hope you're enjoying what we're doing here. Go ahead and sit down in the chairs.
Probably by eight. Well, it doesn't matter. We'll call them up. Okay. Yes. So, so T, uh, TJ, do you want to come forward? Again, following the same process. So first, your pro- public profession of faith. You've already been baptized. So, Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank God for his grace which has been given to you in Christ Jesus by which he awakened in you a desire to profess your faith publicly here in the presence of God and his holy church and to obtain the privileges of full communion with the people of God. You are now required or requested to answer sincerely the following questions. So you've already heard the questions. I think we've actually gone over. So this is repetition, but this is your vows before God. Okay. First, do you believe in the Bible consisting of the Old and New Testament to be the inerrant and infallible word of God and that its teaching summarized in the confessions of this church to be the perfect and only true doctrine of salvation? Do you confess that because of your sinfulness you abhor and humble yourself before God and that you trust for salvation not in yourself but in Jesus Christ alone? Do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your sovereign Lord? And do you promise in reliance on the grace of God to serve him with your whole heart, to forsake the world, to mortify your old nature, and to lead a godly life? Do you agree to submit in the Lord to the government of this church, and in case you should be found delinquent in doctrine or in life, to obey its discipline? Very good. So at this point in time, I'm also going to give you the uh, baptismal vows for your children, and then we'll baptize them. Um, Again, some of these you've just affirmed, so I will... um, See, I'm going to go through them anyway, so just be patient with me. Uh, Do you affirm in the presence of God in these witnesses that you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you are saved solely by faith in Him, and not by any works or character of your own, but simply through faith in God's free gift of grace in Christ? Do you acknowledge that your faith in Christ places you in a covenant relationship with the Lord and into the covenant community called the church? and that this covenant relationship was signified and sealed to you by your own baptism. Okay. Do you acknowledge that, although our children are conceived and born in sin and they're subject to condemnation, they are holy in Christ and as members of his church ought to be baptized? Okay. Do you acknowledge that the outward washing with water is not itself the washing away of sins and that your children must confess faith in Christ in order to be saved? Do you promise to instruct your children in the privileges of our holy religion as revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments and as summarized in the creeds and confessions of this church? And do you promise to pray with and for your children to set an example of piety and godliness before them and to endeavor by all the means of God's appointment to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Amen. And again, congregation... Do you, the members of this congregation, receive these children of the covenant? And will you endeavor to aid in every possible way the ministry to this family to the end that these baptismal vows may be fulfilled? We do. All right, thank you. 
Okay, well, oldest to youngest. Leliana, is that right? Leliana? Liliana, someone wrote it down wrong. So Liliana and Lynn, right? Liliana, Lynn? Okay, Sims. I was trying to not use so much water, okay? Liliana, Lynn Sims. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Welcome. Daniel, you're next. Daniel, Isaiah, Sims, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Nathaniel, you guys are doing great. Nathaniel, Isaiah, Sims, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Rachel. Rachel Lynn. Do you ever go by Rachel Lynn? Do they ever call you that? Yes? Rachel Lynn Sims. I, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Welcome. <laughs> Ezra. Ezra. Hello, Ezra. Ezra, Isaiah. Isaiah, I, I pick up the theme of Isaiah here. here. Ezra. Isaiah, I baptize, Sims, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And finally, Jeremiah. You guys are doing great. Jeremiah, Isaiah, what a name. You've got a great name. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Sims, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> all right, let, let's finish up. Okay, you, all, you guys all want to stand up here? All you kids? So again, this uh, I charge you, TJ Sims. What's your middle? T and J. J is your middle? Was it? Theodore Dwayne Sims Jr. I charge you then, beloved, that by the diligent use of the means of grace and with the assistance of your God, you continue to prof- uh, in the profession which you have just made. In the name of Christ Jesus our Lord, I now welcome you to full communion with the people of God. Rest assured that the privilege of such communion is now yours, and we'll pray the prayer that it has for with the children. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could present these children for holy baptism. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, accept them as your own. Implant into Christ's death and resurrection. Make them to increase in wisdom and grace with God and men. 
and lead them, O Jesus, as lambs of your fold. We commit them to your gracious protection and guidance. Grant them your Holy Spirit to know you, to love you, to follow you, and to inherit eternal blessedness with you. Amen. Again, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you. All right. Thank you for your patience. And let us sing uh, our, our closing hymn. And it's, I think, very apropos. I belong to Jesus. Is that your only comfort in life and in death? Yes, Yes, according to the catechism, right? I belong to Jesus. It's hymn number 187. Tune we know? No, we don't. You want to play through it first? Receive now God's blessing and benediction as found in the second letter of, to the Corinthians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.